welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Emma. I'm Becky. And I'm Tash. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, ladies? All good in a hood. Yeah, also great. Yeah, me too. Me good. too. All good. All good. All good. Everything's awesome. Yeah. I've had one right answer to my little song riddle from last week. But, seems as I only published it yesterday, I feel like I need to leave it a bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. But this person did PM me, so I can say, Megan, you were 100% right. It was that song that you said. Well done. Well done. Bravo. And also on our Facebook page, we've had another recommendation from Ruth, who said we were one of her favorite podcasts and she feels like she's chatting with mates when she's listening. So that's cute. Oh, that makes me so happy because that's what I think when I'm listening to other podcasts that I really enjoy. So I'm so happy that other people think that about us. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, Ruth has to be one of our new best friends because I don't know if you guys saw, she posted a photo. She actually has a full skeleton sat at her dining t- room table. At her dining room table waiting for his tea? Yep, he's waiting for his tea. So I said wow. that's automatically, we're besties now, sorry. I'm going to say, me and Ruth are instant friends. What does she feed him? <laughs> I mean, these are all questions you'll have to ask her on Facebook. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know. What does she feed him? <laughs> Not a lot by the looks of him. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to do part three of the Sally House this week. Yes, I am Ew. loving this story. I'm glad because yes. it's a long one because it's not the final part either. There's going to be a part four. Oh, I love least. that. What, you you like that it's ongoing? Yeah. Oh, I hope, yeah. Our, I hope our listeners do as well. It's not all about them. Well, it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. Um, kind of is. But I'm also a listener of your stories. This so. is true. This is true. So it's also about me, okay? <laughs> okay, okay. It's all. It's, it's about you. Thank so you. yeah, so part three, I'm hoping to wrap it up next week, but I'm not promising. Okay. Okay. Might be a part five. I don't know. I'm on this journey too. I don't know. I'm just having a look at Ruth's skeleton and she, he has a Christmas hat, which I know. also makes it even better. It's Christmas skeleton. Yosh. Oh, that's a bit uh, Nightmare Before Christmas-ish, isn't it? Yeah, is it? Is he called Jack? <laughs> well, she did say he wasn't called John. Could be called Jack. Ruth, what's your skeleton called? I hope it's Barry or Gary, to be honest. <laughs> okay, so last week when we finished the Sally story, Tony had just seen the apparition of Sally. Did you see the sketch? Yes. Yeah, that's what I was wanting to have a look at again. I'm just trying to look on my phone. There it is. He'd seen her and sketched her, and she does look like a cute little girl. Innocent yeah, as hell, she's right? Yeah, adorable. Yeah. And, yeah, did you see the writing, the seven-like? Yes, I also saw that. Yeah. That Creepy. gives me the creeps. And also, seven-like? Seven? <laughs> I just expected her to be blonde for some reason. No, I think she had dark hair. Yeah. She's very, very cute. She did look very cute. So this now brings us to November of 1993. So the Pickmans were expecting family for Thanksgiving. So Deborah warned Sally that there would be guests at the house for a few days and that she must be on her best behaviour. She also warned her that her sister's daughter would be coming and sleeping in the nursery with Taylor. So Taylor apparently is now sleeping in the nursery. How do you feel about knowing that there's a ghost in there that does weird shit? I think I would have not put... I don't think I would have done that. Put your kids in there? But I think it's tough, isn't it? Because ultimately the ghost can go anywhere it likes, so... This is true, this is true. So anyway, this little girl is also going to be in the nursery. Okay. The family arrived and nothing really noticeable happened. The timer on the microwave would reset itself... The ceiling fan balls would sway sometimes. 
<laughs> They're still swaying. And the odd candle would seem to light itself. But all in all, everything was quiet. I love how this is just normal. Yeah, yeah. things move, fire. Just everything's fine. So until one morning when Karen, so Karen's Deborah's sister, who was sleeping on the sofa, woke up to see the beanbag teddy bear on fire. Do you remember the beanbag teddy bear? Yes, the one that got dropped. On George. Also the one that's been like facing the wall a few times and everything. She was sleeping on the settee and she wakes up. This beanbag teddy bear's on fire. It's got flames shooting out of its head. Blimey. I know. Karen quickly grabs the teddy bear, puts out the fire and runs upstairs to show Deborah. She was furious that the bear had been burnt because it had a special meaning. I think Tony gave it to her or something. And it was now ruined, so she scolded Sally out loud and decided to ring Barbara again. Barbara just said the same thing as always, that it was just an attention thing and possibly jealousy about the other little girls sleeping in the nursery. But she yet again asked Deborah if she would like Sally removed. Deborah thought that they would give it one last try. She also said that they felt like there was possibly other ghosts in the house. Barbara just said, If there are, Sally is the boss and she's protecting you all. Deborah kind of felt like this was just being said to appease their fears, but she didn't question it. The family all left and the Pickmans went back to normal. Barbara just seems to be saying a lot of the same thing. It's all fine. I'm just a bit concerned that Barbara's saying that Sally's the boss and she's protecting them from the other ghosts. Is that implying that there are horrible ones living there? I think possibly. Okay. And I think we're going to find out about some of them. Are she doing that thing that parents do to children where it's like, everything's fine and like... It's really not, but you're trying to put on a brave face. But also that's a weird thing to do if you're not living in the house with them. Yes. I just, yeah, I just feel like Barbara keeps saying the same thing over and over again. Everything's fine. As you said, it's literally me as a parent for the past two years. It's all fine. Everything's okay. Just getting higher and higher as you say it. Yeah, everything's fine. (laughs) It's all fine. Is every, are you okay, Mum? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Tears streaming down your face. <laughs> so Tony had a work friend over one evening to watch some TV. The friend knew about Sally, so when the ceiling fan balls began to sway, Tony nudged him to look. Look at me balls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> With that, his friend laid down on the sofa and just... (laughs) Oh, dear. I never think of these things when I'm writing it. So after seeing the balls, his friend laid down on the sofa and just as he did, a small decorative vase flew past his face. Tony couldn't have done it as he hadn't moved and the vase was thrown with such force that it actually dented the wall. Blimey. Tony said it's because we're ignoring her and she's having a tantrum. His work friend said, did they think it was possible that Sally had followed him home? Neither of them knew the answer, but he continued to say that after he'd been to their house, several strange things had happened in the house, mainly objects and clothes moving from one side of the room to the other. It's not the first time that something seems to attach itself to people in that house and follow them home. So that's nice. Yeah. Sounds it. It's not nice. It's not you don't want stuff following you home from haunted places. That's just not cool. So at the Pikmins, however, things were quiet. They weren't sure if Sally was afraid of getting told off about the vase or if throwing it had exhausted her because like used up all her energy. Yeah. Either way, yeah. things remained calm for weeks. Until the Pikmins had a Christmas party. The kids had had movies and stuff to play with set up in the nursery. Again, let's send the kids up to the most haunted room. Yeah. And the parents were downstairs. It had been arranged that Santa would visit and drop off gifts for the kiddies. What do you mean arranged? It just happens on the 25th. They had to book Santa in advance. (laughs) He's a busy man. They'd booked Santa to just come to this Christmas party like... 
Tasha, I don't know how to break this to you, babe. Go on. It wasn't a real Santa that was coming. Oh, okay. So it was one of the Santa helpers. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yes. that you can visit. Yeah, that that's what we're going to say. You know, like the ones you go and sit on their knee at the shopping yes. centres and stuff. Yeah, it was like one of them. That yeah. had been arranged and he was going to come and bring presents for all the kiddies. Okay. That's nice. Yeah, I think so. Well, there are a lot of kids. I, well, there must have been a fair amount of kids to organise yeah, to... a Santa. I mean, he's yeah. a you know, busy guy. Busy yeah. time of year. Mm-hmm. And soon there was a sound of jingle bells and Santa was at the door, bearing a gift for each child, except Sally. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Well, I mean, to be fair, who remembers a ghost? And also, it could have been a ghost present. You can't see it. (laughs) Just tell her that. Yeah, a bit like the uh, elf penis on the Please Don't Follow Me Home podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't listened to that, you won't get the joke. So I suggest you go listen to Please Don't Follow Me Home and listen about elf penises. Those adorable things. Those. (laughs) Once you've seen one, you can't get enough of them. They're so adorable. (laughs) So Deborah suddenly became overcome with sadness as if she was picking up on Sally's energy. One of Deborah's aunts also came over. She knew all about the ghost and asked, do you think she's sad to be missing out? Because I feel like she might be. So the aunt was also picking up on this sadness. Oh, bless her. I think the aunt had some kind of special connection with this Santa's helper and she arranged. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the saucy aunt. <laughs> they are, it's always the aunt. <laughs> so she arranged that Santa would come back to see the baby who had actually fallen asleep the first time and to see Sally when no one else was around so it wouldn't be weird. Still weird. <laughs> but that's what we're going to do. So people started leaving the party and Tony ran upstairs to get their coats off the bed because he'd plonked everybody's coats in the, back, in the master bedroom. On his way back down, the fire alarm started going off and to his horror, a handmade rag doll was sat on the stairs and had burst into flames. He grabbed the doll, ran it into the bathroom to put out the fire and in the process he burnt most of his hands and his forearms. Oh no. Oh God. Why did he drop it and stamp on it? What the fuck? I don't know, but I don't think Sally was impressed that Santa forgot her. (laughs) But Sally, did you not hear? He was coming back. Well, she didn't know that at the time. Yeah, but also, if your child was setting fires, multiple fires throughout the year, would you you get Santa to come and bring it present? She should have got a lump of coal. She was on the naughty list, wasn't she? Absolutely naughty list right at the top, in red. After the party, Sally got extremely told off. But Deborah realised that maybe fire was Sally's easiest way to communicate. So she said, Sally, next time you want to start a fire, use this oil lamp. It was a safe way to communicate and they knew that the fire wouldn't spread. So the next day, Santa returned and Taylor was sat proudly on his knee. Santa also held out his other arm for Sally just in case she wanted to sit on his knee too. What? <laughs> Awkward. I mean, it was like, <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> that just reminds me of like, you know, when you'd fake kiss somebody and you'd put your arms behind your back. It's kind of like that, isn't it? <laughs> He's fake having her sit on his knee. Yeah, uh, well, you don't know. We don't she, know if she was She on may have a... been that. I'm sorry, Sally. I'm not mocking you. It depends how much contact he'd had previously with the family because it was if he was just some random Santa Claus help, he'd be like, who is this? Why is this family? Whereas if they knew, knew them a bit more, he'd know a little bit more of the backstory. Yeah, I must admit, I don't know the, um, the relation between the family and Santa Claus, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So all of a sudden, big black smoke began to rise behind Deborah. It was the oil lamp that was burning. More than Deborah had ever seen it burn. 
Oh, yeah. Oh. Was it a Your happy burn? Your is on fire. Well, I imagine it It must have been Sally going, yay, it's Santa. Yeah. Woohoo. Fire. Shame she can't <laughs> send, like, smoke signals, can she? <laughs> Oh, she could do. She could turn the, the the lamp up and down. She could. There's a little button, isn't there? You know, like Morse code, but with fire. Yeah. Fire I think code. that might be a bit advanced for a seven-year-old. True that. Although we're not even sure she's seven, because she definitely didn't look seven, did she? Mm. No, not really. She looked about four. Yeah, she looked four or five, I'd say. So Christmas came around, and of course, Deborah had bought a few presents for Sally. She'd made her a little crib for her doll that she'd previously been given, a stuffed bear, and a little purse. A purse? What's she going to do? Go and buy sweets? I don't know. She's just <laughs> being kind. Maybe when she picks it up, it turns into ghost money, and then she can go buy ghost stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. the ghost sense. shop. Ghost logic. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Deborah called Sally in with them and opened the presents for her, chatting away to her just like she would any small child. Tony snapped some pictures to see if they could capture anything. When the pictures came back, the Pickmans were shocked to see two distinct entities standing above Deborah. I knew it, said Tony. There's no way that sweet girl I saw is responsible for everything going on around here. And now they had proof there was definitely more than one spirit in their house. Ooh. So now this brings us to January 1994. The couple were in bed asleep when Tony really? was woke. They were in bed asleep, Dash. Yeah, that's what they all say. They didn't say it. The couple were in bed wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> On their waterbed. <laughs> swish, swish. Swish, slosh, slosh. Oh, slosh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not like that word? I don't think I do. <laughs> I also felt great. Oh, I can't even speak. I don't now. know why. It's made me feel really sick. <laughs> Sloshing. <laughs> yeah, let's not say that. Slosh? Just nothing that sounds like slosh or sloshing. It's all disgusting and makes me splutch. <laughs> feel queasy. Ugh. <sighs> It amazes me that you've got such a poor gag reflex, Tash, knowing the things that you can do. <laughs> what, like the like the ant that can obviously gives good blowjobs enough to, to make Santa come twice in the same evening. <laughs> oi oi now, it's January 1994. The couple were in bed asleep when Tony was woken up by the sound of thudding on the stairs. He had heard this a few nights previously, but had just thought it was the cats messing about. This night, however, he was getting annoyed. So he got up and waited at the top of the stairs, ready to catch the cat and put it outside. Catch the cat! <laughs> yeah? Just, just imagine him standing there in like... You know, knees bent, hands like ready to catch a ball. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't you just pick up the cat? Or was it scatting? Well, the cat was doing the zoomies. That's what he thought. Uh, so he was getting ready to catch a zoomy cat. So he had basically a fish net in his hand ready to <laughs> catch it with that. <laughs> so he's standing at the top of the stairs ready to catch the cat and put it outside. But as he heard the thudding on the stairs, he saw no cat. In fact, he saw nothing at all. But the thuds were getting closer and closer Ooh. to him. I don't like that. He froze with fear and felt a cold blast go past him. With this, he ran into the bedroom to try and wake Deborah. She was an extremely deep sleeper and hardly acknowledged him before drifting back to sleep. Oh, aren't you jealous of people that are deep sleepers? God, I'd love to be a deep I'm jealous sleeper. of people that sleep full stop. I mean, I sleep a lot and very deeply, but it's drugs. It's all drugs. <laughs> the legal kind. The legal kind. <laughs> no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Call the police. <laughs> <laughs> Whispering is so weird. <laughs> the thuds began again, this time in the room. 
Tony tried to wake Deborah up again. It's in the room, he said, but she just poo-pooed him. It's just a cat. <laughs> oh, poo-poo. It's just a cat. <laughs> poo-poo on you. <laughs> but Tony oh. knew differently. He eventually drifted off to sleep where he had an awful nightmare about being dragged off the bed by something grabbing his wrists. He shouted at whatever was pulling him to let him go, and it did. He said his dream seemed all too real, and that he was pretty sure he was awake when he crawled back into bed. Oh, but it's one of those weird, like, lucid dreams where, Mm. you know, like, when you don't know if you're awake or you're asleep. Yeah. Mm. Meaning that he had, in fact, been dragged out of it. Later that day, Tony began feeling pain around his wrists. He lifted his shirt to look and saw finger-shaped burns all over both wrists. They had blistered like second-degree burns and was the size of a child's fingers, just like in his dream. I mean, I find that baffling that he wouldn't have noticed that previously, but... A burn does take a while to come through, to be fair. But the pain? Does the pain subside and then it hurts again? Uh, no. But then he he has been getting scratched and not feeling it either. So it's ghost injuries. Mm. They're weird. So this wasn't going to be the last time Tony was singled out. One day, as the couple was watching TV, they realised the remote had vanished from its normal spot. They both started searching, even in different rooms, but found nothing. They gave up and sat back down to finish their show. Tony dozed off and Deborah noticed he was holding his arms in a way that suggested he was cold. So she wrapped a blanket around him. She then went upstairs for a bath and when she came back down, she saw the remote on Tony's legs. She just assumed he must have found it, but looking at him, he hadn't moved. The blanket was still in the same position. He sleepily came to and said, Oh, where did you find that? Deborah said, No, where did you find that? What do you mean, Tony said. I heard you say you'd found it. Well, it wasn't me. I've been in the bath. The colour left his face and said, please don't play with me. You touched my shoulder and said, here's your remote, Tony. Oh, fuck off. Deborah, sensing his fear, didn't say anything except, I swear to God, it wasn't me. Oh. That's horrible. Two days later, Tony was going to see his lady ghost. The couple were going out for dinner. Deborah was getting ready in the bedroom and she was just in her pants and bra and she had wet hair. The only way to get ready. Exactly. Tony was in the bathroom when he saw Deborah walk past. Once he'd finished, he went into the bedroom and stopped cold. Deborah had wet hair and wasn't dressed. The Deborah he saw was dressed and had her hair up. There's no possible way it was the same person. You didn't walk past the bathroom, did you? He asked her, already knowing the answer. No, she replied. He could have sworn it was Deborah he'd seen. Well, I don't like this. No, and if this doesn't make your blood run cold, I don't know what will. Poor Tony was not going to be left alone after that and always seemed to be the person to experience the worst of Sally or whatever other ghosts were in the house. One evening, whilst his brother had been over with a few friends, out of nowhere, Tony's forehead got scratched. He hadn't felt a thing, but one of George's friends suddenly said, Tony, why is your head bleeding? Upon inspection, his head had been scratched three times. Bloody hell. One was a particularly nasty gash, and the other two were smaller. One evening, working the night shift, he was with a co-worker, and the conversation turned to the hauntings. And just as they were chatting about all the things that were happening, a huge gust of cold air flew open the office door, and it had such strength that it completely blew out the window, frame and all. After that, rumours began at his workplace and no one would ever be near Tony during his night shift. Bless him. So it's now isolating him, isn't it? Yep. That shit. Another time, as he was laying on his settee, he felt a huge cold blast of air rush past him. He knew it must have been strong because his hair moved. 
Now, he had that spiked, extremely over-gelled hair that everybody had in the 90s, It yeah? was a look. It was a look. Yeah. It was. And it didn't just blow about. It didn't move. Mm-hmm. Very solid. He said he then tried to get up but was unable to. He was pinned down by something. He tried shouting for Deborah, but no sound came out until eventually he regained use of his body and rushed upstairs to sit in the sewing room with Deborah. Deborah was having her own experiences, not quite as terrifying as Tony's, but still inexplicable all the same. One night she was awoken by one of Taylor's toys playing over the baby monitor. This happened four more times before she got annoyed and went to grab the toy and put it in the hallway. She thought it was odd as this particular toy could play six different songs randomly and she had never heard it play the same tune repeatedly like it had just done. Once in the hallway, however, it did stop. Another day, one of Taylor's toys, a musical clown, by the way, horrifying. I was going to say, Played itself over six times. It's a no from me. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm not down with clowns, especially not toy clowns that play music. That's just raw. No. Especially Dude. when they're playing by themselves. Yeah, all running out of battery and they're like... Yeah, no. One evening they had a few friends over. They all knew about Sally now and they were just all having a nice chill evening. One of them suddenly saw that one of the ears of Taylor's rocking horse was on fire. They put out the fire and tried to light the other ear. I mean, it was already ruined, right? So what's the harm? Only to discover that the ears were made with anti-flammable vinyl and no matter how long they held a flame to it, it didn't burn. Mm. No one could have sneakily set it on fire. Tony did, however, notice that he had been scratched along his face from forehead to chin. He hadn't felt it and only noticed it when another guest pointed it out. It's escalating, isn't it? It seems to be getting more more frequent, more extreme and in front of other people and stuff now. Yeah. So rumours, as they always do, were getting around about the Pikmin's ghost and they were having people turn up at all times of the day trying to get their own paranormal experiences. Rude. Yep. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, call before coming round. (laughs) Don't just turn up. No, it's a bang out of order. Absolutely. So some saw things and some didn't, but the Pikmins began to feel like they were more of a circus attraction than anything. That, plus the fact that their family members had started seeing them less for fear of the paranormal goings-on, the Pikmins just withdrew themselves from society as they felt they were constantly having to prove their claims. Just like Tony, little Taylor began showing signs of fear, something that had never really happened before. He especially became afraid of a musical toy clown. Again, not cool. Who's buying these children clown toys? (laughs) It's the 90s. I'm sure a couple of horror films about clowns have been out by then. Yeah. Yeah, and it. So anyway, he all of a sudden out of nowhere became afraid of this musical toy clown that used to sleep in his crib with him. He went from loving it to being absolutely terrified of it pretty much overnight to the point of even the sight of it would make him scream out in fear. Deborah ended up having to show him her putting it in a bag and putting it outside for him to calm down. But she couldn't help wonder why all of a sudden after months of being fine with it, in fact it was one of his favourites, he became so terrified of it. It wasn't like Sally to scare Taylor. She loved him, according to Barbara. So who could have frightened him with it? Mm. Mm. So it's now July 1994 and Tony's working night shifts again. He got home around 7am and once he had chilled out enough, he took himself up to bed to try and grab some sleep. Deborah was in the nursery playing with Taylor when a little toy he had on his crib started making noise. Now, this toy is one of those that is activated by sound and then repeats the sound. Do you know the ones I mean? No. Yeah. 
you'd say hello and then it'd say hello back. Yeah. It'd repeat your voice. Yeah. Yeah. It records what you say and then it repeats it back. Okay. So he's got one of these toys attached to his crib and it was especially made for babies for like when they babble, it babbles back and they find it funny. They were nowhere near this toy and it started making noise. But you have to you have to be quite close to it, you know, you have to have it like right in front of your face for it to pick up on your voice. It can't like record you from meters away. Yeah. So they were too far away from it for them to have set it off. So the toy goes off, but no distinguishable sounds come from it. It was more like a staticky electrical noise. Yeah. Deborah knew that they were too far away from it for it to have picked up their voices, and the sound coming out of it did not sound human at all. The phone rang downstairs, so she hopped over the baby gate and went to answer it. As she passed the master bedroom, she heard a strange gurgle noise coming from the bedroom, but just assumed it was the radio that Tony always had on to drown out the daytime noise. After her call, she went upstairs to see Taylor waiting for her at the baby gate, arms outstretched. As she picked up the baby, she heard a noise again. This time she could make out Tony's voice, but it sounded odd. He was calling her name. Deb. She replied, what? No answer. He called out again. What? She answered, but still no reply. I would have been, what the fuck is saying? What? <laughs> By the second yeah. time. <laughs> what for fuck's sake? Well, she's going to get there. She's going to get there. <laughs> so after this happening several more times, annoyed at the lack of answers, she burst into the bedroom and shouted, what? Then she saw Tony flat on the bed, arms outstretched and a look of pure terror on his face. Now she was concerned. She asked what was going on. Tony breathed like he hadn't taken a breath in quite a while and then tried to explain. He was woken up by the waterbed sloshing around. (sighs) Yeah, okay. So much so that it was making the pillows jump. And then he saw... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So that bad? Yeah, it was proper sloshing about, like chucking him about on the bed. It's just the noise it would make that would annoy me. Well, yes. I'd need to wee all the time. (laughs) Probably. I think weeing is the least of his troubles at the minute. And then he saw what he can only describe as dust particles that he almost got hypnotised by. He watched them as they took on the form of the torso and head of a woman. Arms crossed with a stern look about her. She was all in black and had black hair. She glided towards him closer and closer. He was paralysed with fear. The bed still jumping all over the place. The drawers are opening and closing repeatedly. And this half of a woman is floating towards him. She said, I'm gonna... And there was an end to the sentence, but he didn't understand it as he was also hearing a lot of other voices whispering and murmuring at the same time. As the woman reached out to grab him, he noticed she had a blackbird on her finger. That's all he remembers. Next thing he knew, he was on the floor trying to open the door, but it just wouldn't open. Everything stopped moving and the woman had vanished. He had no idea how he got back on the bed where Deborah had found him. Taylor no longer wanted to sleep in the nursery either. His little face became fearful every time anyone tried to put him in there. Something was definitely not right at the Pickmans. And that is end of part three. At the moment, you're a bit like, you know, a series when you're watching it. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to watch one tonight. And then you end up watching four. Yeah. And then it's three o'clock in the morning yeah. and you've got, got to get up at six. We've got to leave you on a cliffhanger. <laughs> wow, I'm enjoying it. Thank you. Yeah. And what do you think, shall we do guesses of what she was trying to say? I'm going to what? Kill you. Kill you, I would imagine, yeah. Oh, not, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. <laughs> I'm going to make it, going to make it, going to make it through. I mean, that would be less terrifying. I'm gonna fight fire with fire. Yeah. 
Maybe she was the original composer of that song. Yeah, that's with all the fires as well. Mm. Gonna fight fire with fire, fire with fire. <laughs> There's lots of songs that you could you'd sing. You could sing. A weird fact, though, is that like as he was explaining in that bedroom when that awful like attack was happening, all his furniture was going haywire. You can hear all these voices. He's seeing this woman. His bed's going bloody berserk. And Deborah could not hear a single thing, even though she was just outside. Wasn't she on the blower, though? I mean, she was on the phone for a little bit, but it was a short phone call. But when she got back upstairs, all she could hear was Tony kind of going, Deb, Deb. She couldn't hear anything else. It's it's very strange. That's weird. Mm. Very bizarre. Yes, indeed. Trey bizarre. Trey bizarre. Becky. Yes. Have you got some murder? <laughs> some murder, murder, murder. I'm, I'm kind of a bit like, I kind of have to get over what you've just told me <laughs> to get now get into my story. I'm a bit like, whew. Yeah, torso head lady. So many unanswered questions. I'm really enjoying the Sally House series. I just kind of want to know what's, I want to know the, the next part. Well, I, I'll tell you next week. But it's... Yeah, I'm sure you it's will. because <laughs> in the book, he described this torso and head as looking like the really bitchy shopkeeper's wife off Little House on the Prairie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> like complete resting bitch face ghost. Yeah, that's what that's what he said she looked like. Oh. So was it just was it just the torso that was visible or was it just a torso of a woman? What after what I gathered it was just the torso and the head, yeah. No e. legs. Oh. So, my story this week Again, all these names of towns and everything are going to get completely... Butchered? Absolutely. Where are we going? So we're in America. Okay. Land of murder. There's lots of murders there. A lot of people, so a lot of murder, unfortunately. But you've got no excuse for butchering names. Nah. The Americans, they can't say UK names. And This is uh, true. This is true. But neither can I, to be fair. Yeah. Get them to say, um, Worcestershire sauce. I was just gonna say, say how, how does anybody say Worcestershire? It pisses me off so- like nothing else. Is it Worcestershire? Is that all it is? Yeah, it's not that hard. Worcestershire, yeah, Worcestershire. But also, yeah. if you don't know how to say it, just call it the brand Liam Perrins. Oh, yeah, I always call it Liam Perrins because I can't say Worcestershire, yeah, Worcestershire. Worcestershire. What is it? I think. I think you've just heard too many people say it wrong, and you've made you think that it's hard to say. Well, it's actually it's not that bad. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. No, Worcestershire. 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 It's not Worcestershire. Yes, it is. Just say it fast. Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire sauce. Sauce. Yeah. Okay. Right. Like we're talking a load of crap. Get on it's with it. It's like how you say Yorkshire. <laughs> you don't say Yorkshire, do you? Say Yorkshire. 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 Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Ah! There we are. Roundabout. Get in there. Let's just move on from this because this is very stressful for me. <laughs> um, right, so I'll say my sources in the beginning. So <laughs> Wikipedia, as usual. Good segue. And, yeah. A lot of my notes from oh, this week... Oh, see what week. you did there, Tash. Took me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of my um, notes from this week was from an article by Carrie Hansen. Big up, Carrie. Cheers, Carrie. It's at visaka.com. So V-I-Z-A-C-A.com. And it's on there. An article on there. And a few documentaries which I'll tell you the name of at the end. If not, it will kind of give out or give away a few things in the story. <laughs> so this story was based on 17-year-old Ashley Reeves, who, who was a high school junior who lived in Millstadt, which is a little village in Illinois. Millstadt is spelled M-I-L-L-S-T-A-D-T. Millstadt? To be fair, I've no idea how you'd pronounce that either. Run with so. it, babes. Yeah. You got this. Yeah. Look, w- were you there? 
No. No, I don't live there. So that's how I'm, I'm pronouncing it. So she lives there with her parents and her younger sister, Casey. She was doing well in school, had many friends, had a smile that would light up the room. Oh, it's never good when they say that. Nope. And even a a lovely boyfriend named Jeremy, who was also adored by her parents. Sounds like the American dream. Yeah. So on Thursday, the 27th of April, 2006, Ashley told her parents that she was going to a job interview in Fairview Heights, a city approximately 20 minutes away from the village where she lived. Ashley told her parents that she would play basketball after the interview and would be home by her 10pm curfew that evening. So Ashley carried a change of clothes with her for after the interview so that she can go play basketball and left about 3.30 in the afternoon with Jeremy, her boyfriend's car, which she'd borrowed for that day. Her family didn't hear from her and then 10pm comes and goes, and Ashley never makes it home for curfew, which has never happened before. Ashley knew that she had to come home and help take care of her younger sister. That's what she promised to do earlier that day. By 10.30pm, there was still no sign of her, and that's when her mum started to worry. Her mother, Michelle, asked her youngest daughter, Casey, if she had spoken to Ashley at all. But Casey had said that she hadn't heard from her all day. So Michelle and Casey called Ashley several times and sent multiple texts, but Ashley never replied. Oh, Ashley, what's happened? Yeah. So Ashley's mum and Ashley always had like a an agreement that if for some reason she couldn't make curfew, that she needed to call by at least 10pm so that she doesn't worry. But she felt in her gut that something was wrong. She just knew this wasn't at all like Ashley to not turn up and not let her know why she isn't there. Michelle waited for a while and then she called St. Clair's County Sheriff's Office. The officer that received the call could tell straight away that this call was very, very serious. Michelle was very, very stressed and upset on the phone. They do get a lot of calls about missing teens and they usually turn up after a few hours, you know, unharmed, but just a bit late. But something in the mother's voice just made his own gut feeling kick in. So he took the details and he went to see his captain and said that he thinks that they need to run with this one straight away, that he's got a bad feeling about it. Sounds like he's on point. Yeah, which is really good because often they're like, eh, you have to wait 24 hours. I mean, time is of the essence, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's getting to 2006, so they're a little bit more, you know, they've seen a lot of this happen before where, you know, Actually, it is the first 48 hours that are the most important, mm. especially when it comes to younger people disappearing. So the police decided to open an investigation and go out and look for Ashley. Eight hours later, they found Jeremy's car abandoned in Lederman Park in Belleville, which is about 15 minutes away from Ashley's home. They found the car, but no Ashley. They had a look inside the car, which contained the clothes that she would have worn if she'd gone to play basketball. It doesn't even look like she had the chance to go and play basketball, like she said. To them, this looks very fishy, and it confirms that it's not just a missed curfew and that she actually is missing. Detectives didn't find her that night, but they brought Jeremy in for questioning her mum and sister, try and get some more information. And when they brought Jeremy in, so the boyfriend, they brought him in because he was Ashley's boyfriend and also he had lent her his car. Yeah. Jeremy had told detectives that He had let Ashley borrow his car to go to the job interview, which is true, and then followed by a basketball game. Jeremy didn't raise any suspicions with the police officers. His responses were coherent. His tone of voice seemed legit. Detectives decided that they didn't think that he was involved in Ashley's disappearance and that he was genuinely upset that she was missing and had no idea where she was. So they decided to look for other suspects. However, detectives questioned why Ashley would go and play basketball at a park so far away from her home when there was one right in her own neighbourhood. I'll be honest, when you said that, I did think it was weird. Like, who is she going to play basketball with? Mm Mm-hmm. Which is why the police think that maybe she drove all the way over there to meet someone. But who? No one good, I'm guessing. Mm. Well, it's none of her friends because they're questioning all of her friends as well. 
while detectives were searching for Ashley and questioning everyone, Ashley's mum, Michelle, and little sister, Casey, decided to search the house for clues to see where she could have gone. Casey suggested that maybe they looked at Ashley's phone bill. So Michelle called the phone company, and since Ashley's phone was in her mother's name, because Ashley was only 17, she was able to get her phone records detailing all of her incoming and outgoing calls. So they go through this call log and realize that there were multiple calls from a number that they didn't recognize. And it was calls that had been made to Ashley's phone and not from. Michelle decided to call the number. And when they did, they heard a familiar voice at the other end. It was Samson Shelton, a 26-year-old gym teacher. He was known to the family. Michelle knew who he was. Uh, So she asked Sam if he had seen or heard from Ashley. And he said no. Liar. He's lying. You lie, motherfucker. And this is also super sketchy. Before she could ask any other questions about where Ashley's whereabouts, he abruptly hung up the phone. So he was just like, no, bloop, and then turn it off. Well, that's that's not suspicious at all, is it? Absolutely not. Like, it's not like, no, why? What's happening? Can I help oh. you with anything? What's going on? Yeah. Suspicious. Especially the fact that he had called Ashley's phone multiple times. Exactly. Why is a 26-year-old man ringing a 17-year-old <laughs> student? Fucking weirdo, that's mm-hmm. why. Yep. So fortunately, Ashley kept her friends updated on her private life. And what they told detectives sent chills down Michelle's spine. So according to Ashley's friends, she was romantically involved with an older man. Oh, poor Jeremy. (laughs) I know, bless him. And the two would often gather to play basketball together. And Ashley had plans to meet him the day that she went missing. And this man was called Samson Shelton. Sam was a driver's ed teacher. Is that a driving instructor? Yeah. And a gym coach at a nearby high school. So not not um, Ashley's high school, but a different one. Okay. He was also a pro wrestler on the side. And his nickname was The Teacher when Ashley and her friends would talk about him. Oh, that wasn't his wrestling name. Actually, yeah, I think it was. <laughs> but I think they also just, uh, they used that. So yeah, his wrestler name was The Teacher. That is also what Ashley's friends would call it. So detectives discovered that Sam was Ashley's teacher in 2001 when she was in seventh grade. So when she was 12, that he was her teacher. That's creepy as fuck. Super, super. Yes. So apparently they often met in Belleville, which is where detectives found Jeremy's abandoned car. Also, not cool taking her boyfriend's car to go and see her other boyfriend. No, that's muggy as fuck. It's a little bit muggy, isn't it? It's not poor Jeremy. I do feel a bit, bit sorry for him. So it was now Friday the 28th of April. So Ashley's been missing for 24 hours. Detectives went to the high school where Sam worked and took him in for questioning. At first, Sam was cool. You know, he was uh, playing the part of the whole, oh, I don't know anything about this. He had a calm attitude and he was cooperative. But he did say that he had had an alibi that night, that he was at like a line dancing party at a local bar. Had even been filmed there at one point as someone did have a camcorder. Oh, well, that was convenient, wasn't it? Mm. However, he did keep contradicting himself because at first he kind of denied even knowing Ashley that well. Well, why are you calling her then? Yeah, well, he didn't know that they already had the phone I really didn't know that they could find things like that, or he didn't know that they had her phone records yet. Yeah. Police said, why have you called her multiple times if you don't know her that well? So that's when the truth began to come out. The jig was up. Mm. Or was it? So when questioned about his relationship with Ashley, Sam said the two were simply friends who rarely meet to play basketball. Mm-hmm. When confronted with the statements from Ashley's friends that their relationship was romantic and sexual, he changed his story in a desperate attempt to victimize himself. Sam, the victim, told detectives that Ashley had become fascinated with him and was absolutely obsessed. 
He painted the picture of an obsessed teen with a crush who called him at all hours of the day and night. Sam said that he'd been avoiding Ashley for days, hoping that she would leave him alone. Oh, poor Sam. My heart bleeds, it does. does. Uh, Yeah, I totally believe him. Finally, after hours of questioning, he admitted that they, in fact, did meet up at the park that day. So when he started doing this, the detective was thinking, oh, shit. So he's denied it, now he's admitting it, but he's still not telling the complete truth. He's saying that they met up and they went for a drive in his car where he wanted to end their relationship because he was scared to, but he told Ashley that he didn't want to see her anymore. And that's when Ashley started screaming and crying and hitting him. So he had to pull the car over and he told her to get out of the car. She got out of the car in the middle of nowhere and then he just drove off. And she was alive when he last saw her. This sounds very suspicious to me. Yeah. And also, if you've been calling this person having a relationship with her and then you dropped her off in the middle of nowhere, would you not call and be like, did you get home safe? At least. I don't know. I think if you kind of care for someone, you'd care about if they got home safe or wouldn't have dropped them off in the middle of nowhere. A 17-year-old girl. Absolutely. Yeah. So 12 hours into the interrogation, Sam described in a cold and disturbing way precisely what he'd actually done to Ashley. So he'd only start actually admitting what's going on when um, one of the detectives that knew some of Sam's family outside of work basically said to him, what would your mum think? What would your grandma think? And that's when he actually decided to tell the truth. It's not very nice what I'm about to say, so if anyone doesn't want to hear this, probably skip about 45 seconds. Right, I'll see you in a minute. (laughs) I'm not going to go into too much detail, but it's not very nice. So he described in an awful, cold, disturbing, monotone way what he'd done to Ashley. They did actually go for a drive and have an argument in his vehicle, but he didn't just pull Ashley out and leave her at the side of the road. He put her in a chokehold and dragged her out of his car. So this guy is pretty strong if he is a wrestler. So he had her in his chokehold, was pulling her around, and then he heard a loud pop. Oh, fuck-a-doodle-doo. Oh my god, did he decapitate her? And then Ashley went limp. Oh, he's broken her neck, that's what he's done. So realising that he'd snapped her neck, Samson panicked and pulled her into the woods where he strangled her with his bare hands. Then he realised Ashley was still breathing and he strangled her again with his belt. He put his foot on her and strangled her with the belt, like with her on the floor, and he was pulling upwards with the belt and uh, the belt would eventually snap. Jesus Christ! And then he's choked her a third and final time with his hands again before taking off and leaving her in the woods. He left her dead in the woods and, and ran off like a coward. So, following his confession, Samson agreed to lead detectives to Ashley's body. It was in a park just over 10 minutes away from Ashley's home. After a while of searching, because it was in a park, but it was all woods, and it was a 45-acre park, so it was a pretty big search area, and he got Mm. turned around. He couldn't exactly find it at the beginning. So, detectives were looking around with their flashlights, and they eventually caught a body of a young girl as they were walking up to her they could see that she was completely broken and obviously deceased detectives felt a wave of disappointment guilt and just awful because they very much wanted to believe that they could find her in time could find her alive and bring her back to her family so one of the detectives goes over to a body and that's when they hear him shout she's breathing she's breathing get the EMTs get the EMTs and she actually was actually still alive. Oh my god, that poor girl. She'd been in the woods, left for dead for over 32 hours. Jesus. So EMTs rushed to the scene and transported her to the local hospital where she was put straight away into an induced coma. They didn't think that she'd make the hospital ride there alive. So like I said earlier, thank God for that these police officers actually realised that the first 48 hours are the most important when you're looking for a missing person. And if they had stuck to the famous 24-hour rule, Ashley would definitely be dead. 
Sam was arrested and charged with first-degree attempted murder. As he was taken into custody, Sam, forever the victim, asked for a private bathroom because he said that he suffered from a urinary stress disorder and would be miserable if he was forced to have a wee in front of other people. Oh, fuck off. Fucking worries me. You're lucky if you even get to keep your dick. Yeah. His request was promptly denied. Good. Oh, I I get stressed when other people watch me wee. What were you doing to that girl? You strangled her three times and you broke your belt trying to kill her. Nobody gives a shit that you're worried about somebody seeing your willy. Mm. Yeah. So that was good, but I don't know who decided this was okay. Samson was released on bail and placed on house arrest. No, come on. A man who had strangled a girl three times and broken her neck and left her in the woods to die. That's ridiculous. He's a monster. There's no other way of describing this man. Yeah. He was allowed to live in the comfort of his own home for like the entire year or however long it would be until trial. How's Ashley? Where's Ashley? What's happening? Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know in a minute. Yeah, but she's she's okay. So just before Sam faced charges of attempted murder in court, 911 would get a phone call from his mother stating that he had tried to commit suicide by ingesting a lot of pills and alcohol. When deputies and paramedics arrived at the scene, they found a seemingly unconscious Sam with the words, do not resuscitate, written on his chest. Oh, fuck off. No, resuscitate him. He's going to pay for what he's done. Yeah. As EMTs went to go and revive him, he suddenly became alert and like, oh, oh no. So he was a complete fake. I mean, he might have taken some pills, but not enough to die. It was just all, all for show. Yeah, attention seeking. Yeah, so he become, suddenly became alert and began attacking the paramedics and, and police on scene with punches. He was then transported to the local hospital where he racially insulted a nurse at the hospital and kicked her in the face. Oh, so he's racist as well. He's just racking up the points, it's isn't he? Twat. That's yeah. what he is. This whole episode forced the judge to order an evaluation of his mental state. Prosecutors argued that Sam had faked mental illness to get sympathy from the jurors at trial. I can see. I can see him doing that. Or um, trying to avoid trial completely. A psychiatric evaluation found Sam mentally fit to stand trial. Good. However, before the trial, Sam would take a plea deal and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. So according to... The Illinois Department of Corrections, he is up for parole in April 2024. Two years time. In two years time. So if he gets out in 2024, he hasn't served 20 years in prison because he committed the crime in 2006. So I think they, if they can keep him longer, brilliant, but he needs to at least do 20 years. The thing that annoys me with this, yes, absolutely great that she um, survived. Absolutely brilliant. But he should still get a murder charge because he thought he murdered her. That's what annoys me with these things. She would have been murdered if they hadn't been lucky enough to find her in time. Ashley fortunately could not remember the attack. Not much from that day. She did. Yeah, she did remember the argument that they had had, and that was going round and round in her head. But she refused to let that scumbag's actions prevent her from living life to the full. She did suffer brain damage from the attack, so she had to learn to walk, read and write, eat and drink. Oh, so she again. wasn't completely paralyzed? No. No, but she had to, it took her a long time to, she had to relearn everything because after a few months, she was talking and eating and drinking. And a year later, she graduated from high school and started oh, vo- volunteering at a, yeah, brilliant. So she started volunteering at a violence prevention centre. Today, Ashley is 32 and has two children. So she's, uh, sounds like she's living life and uh, making her dreams come true. So I really hope she's happy and isn't letting that complete piece of shit take one more minute of her life. So he basically groomed her, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, she was 17. She's still a minor, 
she's yeah but he met her when she was like 12 didn't he yeah i mean i don't know i don't know if things started then but if i don't know if i was a teacher and i one of my students were 12 when i first met them i could never ever that i always think that's weird yeah you know like you know when people hook up with their dad's mate and stuff like that and you think you've known that person since they was a child yeah i I don't know anybody who's hooked up with any of my dad's mates oh we do normal thing (laughs) well i only know one two people that have done that really Mm -hmm. yeah i know a few people I don't know how that's hooked up, hooked up, but I know that people have, like, snogged there. I know a couple of people that have, like, shagged their dad's mates. I still feel like that that, that goes under the don't shag your dad's mates rule. <laughs> <laughs> My rule is don't shag anyone that's old enough to be your dad. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's more on the dad's mate that that's more of a... That's pervy. Pervy. Well, you know, like, bros before hoes? Kind of like, bros before... Your mate's your daughter. daughter. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine Dad's okay with that. Well, I don't think they know. Well, I hope they don't. They won't be friends much longer if they do. I just think that's one of those things that... Or like dads that shag their daughter's mates. Yeah. That's not a thing, surely. Come on yes, now. Yes, it is, Emma. No, it's, it's so innocent, babes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Is it? No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people, eh? <laughs> I'd like to say I've not done either of those no, things. No, neither have I, but yeah, it happens. Well, it, it shouldn't. <laughs> oh, is this shocked you more than anything else, Emma? <laughs> Finding out all sorts of shit. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Thank you, Becky. That was a good story and it had a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad so she's there. Uh, I hope she's doing well and I'm, she get, I'm glad that, yeah, that she was strong enough to, to overcome it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, well, he can rot, but yeah, that's not how it works, is it? No. I mean, not. that year that he was on house arrest, I don't think that should have come off his um, time, you know, because usually, you know, a waiting trial, they'll take that off, you know, your sentence yeah. i don't think chilling at home watching netflix that yeah that doesn't count yeah that's not nah that's not prison we all did that in 2020 so exactly exactly hey yeah. thanks for that becky booze thank you thank you thank you okay my little song segment are you ready for the second yes, one please i've been here for days now maybe even weeks i don't know how i got here One minute, I was at a friend's party, and then nothing. I just woke up here. It's damp, cold, and everything has a weird yellowish hue. I only ever see one person. He demands I call him Captain. I've pleaded to be let free, but he simply replies, Why? You have all you need right here. But I've heard the screams of the others here. I can't be certain, but I think they're my friends from the party. Or at least they were. There are a lot less screams now. I shudder to think what the captain has done to them. And I know sometime soon it'll be my turn to scream. Under this sky of blue and surrounded by the green salty sea. Ooh. Well, I have no idea what that is. I'm going to have to listen to that a few times on repeat before I know. It's a very famous song that everybody knows. Okay. (laughs) So there you go. Well, thank you, Emma. No problem. No problem. And uh, yeah, should we wrap it up? Let's do this. You can catch us on our social media outlets, Instagram, TikTok and Twitter are all SCSK underscore podcast. Yeah. Or on Facebook, just under Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. Or by email, you can send one of those in to us, any of your um, spooky stories, hometown murder stories or just any sort of message that you want to send to us at chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com yep oh and any of those to give us the answer to what song i was talking oh, yeah. about just now yeah and do it by private message so it doesn't give the game away mm-hmm. all right then see you next week thanks for listening stay safe don't kill people 
and keep it weird. Bye. Bye. Bye.